Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We continue our sermon series from Paul's, what we call, book 1 Corinthians. Knock, knock, who's there? Temptation. Temptation you, always, every time. A young couple was struggling with their finances. In effort to reel in their spending, their impulse buying, they made an agreement. Whenever the enemy would tempt them to make an impulse purchase, they would shout, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Well, the young wife came in, and she was modeling a brand-new dress for her husband, and he noted it was beautiful, but he said, I thought we had an agreement. Did you forget when you were tempted to make that impulse purchase, that beautiful dress, did you forget to say, get behind me, Satan? She said, oh, no, no, no. Well, what went wrong? He said, well, it happened, it happened. I, I felt the impulse to buy this dress, and I shouted, get behind me, Satan. Well, what next? He said, it looks good from back here, too. (laughs) Among the milieu of reality television shows, we find a show called Temptation Island. Fox described the show as an unscripted dramatic series in which unmarried couples traveled to an exotic locale to test and explore the strength of their relationships. Put another way, they throw good-looking men and women your way to see if you will remain faithful and in love with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. This show, perhaps, is reality more than any of the other reality shows. For all of us, in reality, dwell on Temptation Island. We're all tempted by greed and lust and money and power and substances whatever it might be, that would drag us away from the values of God's kingdom. Temptation is always knocking at our door. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 has a lot to say about temptation. First of all, remember the results of failure to resist temptation. Remember the results of failure to resist temptation. Divine biblical revelation, as well as mere human history, leave no doubt about the results of failure and temptation. You pay a price when you fall. There are real radical results when you and I do not resist temptation. Verses 6 through 10, Paul lists four temptations that happened to ancient Israel. Most of this comes from Numbers. They were tempted and fell to idolatry and sexual immorality and testing God and grumbling of all things is one of the things to which they fell prey. And God's punishment was no fluke. Multiple successive examples in this passage make it too clear to avoid. Yielding to temptation cost much. A whole train of events in the history of ancient Israel and in world history, demonstrate the cost of yielding to temptation. The evidence of failure to resist temptation is recorded. And all of these things happen, Paul says, that we could be warned. They won't do Israel any good anymore. Israel has already fallen. That's history for Israel. And now it's written for us. 
It was recorded for us, Paul says, that we too might not fail. Now, there are all sorts of theories, philosophical theories about how education works. I've discovered in life there are basically only two ways that you can learn something. Only, only two ways you can learn how to live life. You can learn something from your own failures, or you can learn something from the failure of others. You can learn something from your own failures, or you learn something from the failures of others. You can learn life by living, or you can learn life by looking. You can learn life by living, or you can learn life by looking. One lady said, you will either live your life being a good example or a horrible warning. You will live your life being a good example or a horrible warning. I've discovered in life that tuition is a lot cheaper if other people write the check. <laughs> learn from the failures of others. Paul is calling upon the church, learn from the failures of ancient Israel. Look at verse 6. These things happen as an example for us, that we should not crave evil things as they also crave. Look down at verse 11. He says it again. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, you know ancient Jews taught that there was this age and then the age to come. There was this age, the age of the prophets, and then there was the age of the Messiah. And now we live in the overlapping of the ages. The Messiah has come. The new age is here. The age of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is here. The age of the resurrection is here. And yet the old age is still here until Christ returns. We live in the overlap of the ages. And that we would be warned, those upon whom the ends of the ages have met, he says, we must, we must be warned. Well, there's a second thing. Understand the results of overconfidence. Understand the results of overconfidence. Look at verse 12. Therefore, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Therefore, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Be careful of these words. The last thing I'll ever do is. The last thing I'll ever do is, or even worse. I've done that before, but you can be sure I'll never do that again. I've done that before, but you can be sure I'll never do that again. Pride is a telescope turned the wrong way. It magnifies the self and makes the heavens small. It is our own pride that makes us want to be independent from God. We feel like we're the master of our own fate, that we run our own life, that we call our own shots, that we can go at it alone as, as a dishonesty. But the reality is, you and I are dependent upon God for our very next breath. We are dependent upon God for absolutely everything. So saying that we live away from God, independent from God, is a self-delusion. It's just another matter of pride being an unfortunate little trait of humility, and being humility is not a, a small, attractive virtue. It is our, all our inner psychological integrity as at stake here. When we are conceited, we are lying to ourselves about who we are, pretending that we are gods and not human. 
Our pride is the idolatrous worship of ourselves, the national religion of hell. Pride in our own abilities gets us nowhere. Don't be overconfident. A man was listening to one afternoon, all afternoon, two, late, two church ladies were trying to impress each other with their religiosity. After one finally left, the second one turned to him and said kind of smugly, I think Betty's a good Christian. I just suppose I live a little bit closer to the Lord than she does. The man thought for just a moment, and then he replied, ain't neither one of you crowding him much. (laughs) Those of us who think we soar too high fall hard. That's why low, humble dwelling is preferable. The tallest trees are the ones that are swayed by the power of the winds and ambitious men, the blast of fortune. Be careful the words, I'll never make that mistake. I'll never commit that sin. Look what he says there in verse 12. Take heed, he who stands take heed, lest he fall. I was watching a NFL preseason football game, and one of the guys had caught the ball, and he was so excited, you know, as they're trying to make the roster, trying to get the job, and he, he was, ran across the goal line, but he spiked the ball before he ever crossed the goal line. And so they called the ball back and put it all the way back on the four-yard line. You can't celebrate Victory before life is over because the game clock is always still ticking. St. Anthony said, expect temptation all the way to your last breath. Bonhoeffer writes these words. In our members, there's a slumbering inclination towards desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether sexual desire, ambition, or vanity, or desire for revenge, or love of fame and power, or greed for money. And finally, that strange desire for the beauty of the world of nature. Joy in God is extinguished in us. And we seek our joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality, and the only desire for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not fill us with a hatred of God, but rather a forgetfulness of God. And now his falsehood is added to his proof of strength. The desire thus aroused envelops the mind and will of man in the deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and decision are taken away from us, and the questions present themselves. Is this not really permitted to me? Yes, even expected of me here in my particular situation to appease a desire? The tempter puts me in a privileged position, like he put the Christ when he tempted him. I boast of my privilege against God is here that everything within me rises up against the Word of God. Don't be proud, Paul says. When you see a brother or a sister fall, know in your heart that you yourself are not above the same sin. Adventure 
Henry Pigeon circled the globe in a tiny little sailboat. In a radio interview, he asked the interviewer, he said, what do you think is the most dangerous time in a little sailboat going around the globe? Oh, it's, it's got to be the storms and the rocks. The interviewer said, no, not at all. He said, when a man's in a little sailboat and he's in the middle of a storm, he will grab something when he comes up. He will hold on. But when the waters are calm and the breeze is gentle, he's arrogant. He's confident. And just a little roll of the boat and overboard, he goes to his death. Those of us walking in the gentle breeze and the good weather and pride, be careful. Be careful. Brad Ronnell Braxton, pastor of the Douglas Memorial Community Church in Baltimore, contends that most Christians pray a slightly expanded version of the Lord's Prayer. Instead of stopping with, lead us not into temptation, most of us say, but at least let me flirt with it occasionally. <laughs> lead me not in temptation, but don't let temptation forget my address. Now, the sin, of course, is not being tempted. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that our Christ, Jesus, was tempted in every way that we are tempted. It's not the temptation. It's the arrogance, the pride, and the fall. Here's a third thing. Recall the remedy for temptation. Look at verse 13. Recall the remedy for temptation. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man, and God is faithful, who would now allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with temptation will provide a way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. If you sin, you have chosen to sin, Paul is saying. Whenever the tempter comes, God always provides a way out of that temptation. It's the image of an army. An army that's encircled in the mountains and there's no way out. And yet, at the moment they discover a little pass, an unknown pass, they can escape the temptation, the loss, the war through the path. And that escape pass comes early in temptation. It doesn't come late. Recall the character of our God, he seems to be saying, that no temptation has overtaken you, but is such as common to man. Many years ago, in the British Parliament, they passed a law requiring a series of marks on the hull of a ship. It was called the Plimsoll Mark, named after Samuel Plimsoll, who was a reformer trying to protect the sailors and the, the shipmen. And what it said was, at that mark, there was a certain mark, and at the last mark, the ship could not be loaded beyond that because it would tip over in a storm. They came to be known as the Plimsoll Mark after the reformer, Samuel Plimsoll. God knows every one of his children. God has a Plimsoll Mark on each one of us. He will not allow Satan to tempt us beyond what we're able to bear. He knows the limit of our load. Look at verse 13 again. He will provide a way of escape, a way of escape, we're not in a cul-de-sac. We're not trapped. God always provides a way out, but that way comes early. Dr. George Sweeting 
talks about going to Niagara Falls. And when he visited Niagara Falls there, they saw the big, it was a spring and there were big chunks of ice and there were fish carcasses in the ice and the gulls were coming and they were pecking on the fish carcasses there as the big chunks of ice were going over the falls. And well, the gulls saw when they began to hear the roar of the falls, they would fly off the ice and escape before they plunged to their death trying to eat the carcasses of the fish. Dr. Sweeting said, I noticed one old bird that just stayed and stayed and stayed. And finally, at the very last moment, he spread his big wings. He began to flap and he even lifted up the chunk of ice for a moment. But his claws had become frozen in the ice. And he plunged to his death below. Be careful. There's always a way out. But the way out comes early. The final word about temptation. Temptation comes in forms with which we are familiar. It might be sensual. It might be a temptation to lie or to cheat. It might be a temptation to find solace or encouragement in a substance. But there are some temptations we don't think about as much. The temptation to try to live a life of power over service. Here we now and said, what makes the temptation of power so irresistible? He says it is that power is a substitute for love. Power is a substitute for love. It is easier to be God yourself than to love the creator God. It's easier to control people than it is to love people. It's easier to own life than to love life. Jesus asked the disciples a question, do you love me? Do you love me? And their answer is always, hey, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit at the right and left hand of your throne? Perhaps the greatest temptation for most Americans, a temptation to be caught in a world that tries to find happiness in material things. A world which consumes more and more. A mindset which says, if I buy this someday, I'll be happy. If I buy this someday, I'll be somebody. Bigger and bigger houses and bigger and bigger barns. When we peel back the skin of that greed, we find ourselves ultimately at idolatry. Materialism is idolatry in its finest form. The giving of myself of more sacrifices, in essence, I begin worshiping me. Unlike some of the other temptations, we don't fall into this one all at once. But rather bit by bit, and piece by piece. Decision to have a little more. Decision to go a little easier on myself. Decision to celebrate this and recognize that. In the end, we've constructed a temple, a temple to ourselves. <laughs> knock, knock. Temptation is always, always, always knocking at our door. So be ready. Remember the results, Paul says. Look at ancient Israel. 
All this was written for you so you wouldn't fall. Learn by their paying the tuition. Remember the results to resist temptation. Number two, understand the results of overconfidence. Let he who stands take heed lest he fall. Thirdly, recall the remedy. God always provides a way out. The reality is Satan has all of our addresses. And the more you try to do for God, the more you try to be like the church, the more you try to live a life from the Sermon on the Mount, the more often he comes knocking. While you're doing nothing, being in nothing, you're no threat. But when you try to be like the Christ, he will certainly come looking for you and me. Let's pray. Oh, God, help us to realize today that none of us is above temptation, that we're all prone to fall from our faith. God, I pray perhaps there's one here this morning who would come and say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I'm entrapped in the evil one's snare. Maybe there are others who want to be a part of this church. Father, whatever your call, whatever the Spirit places on our hearts, may we be obedient today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.